Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. What's up, everybody? Welcome again. My name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor. So glad you're with us. Uh, welcome to week two of our series, Summer Love. And uh, di- didn't my wife uh, do a great job last week as we preached together? I hope you were blessed. Also want to say to every physical location, welcome. And those in our online community, we're so glad you're with us. Believe God's going to speak to you today. God's word's going to transform you. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Well, question for you. Any Office fans in the house? Anybody watching? Any Office fans? Uh, big big fan. Uh, major commitment to the Office. One of my favorite characters of all time uh, is Dwight Schrute. Uh, and if you're not an Office fan, I'll try to catch you up. But Dwight really committed to his title. It really committed to his title as assistant regional manager, a position that doesn't really exist. And uh, re- really just tremendous. We, we make fun of, of Pastor Grace sometimes. We call her Dwight. Uh, because she's so committed, not, not necessarily to her title, although she, she has a little pride in who she is, but, uh, but just you know, she's passionate about carrying out the task. Amen. We're grateful. Dwight, Grace, same person. And, uh, but Dwight's just his commitment to his, his title and having a title. I mean, is, is beyond anything. And one day, uh, Dwight felt like the, the, the office staff uh, was not prepared for a fire drill. And so he purposely kind of created a fake fire, uh, as you can see, uh, created a fake fire and just chaos ensued. I mean, just the cats are flying People are dying, you know what I mean? It's just, it's wild. And so, uh, but the, the whole purpose at the end was basically, it was like, I just, I just wanted everyone to understand that they were not prepared. <laughs> Committed to his identity as this assistant regional manager. And, uh, but you know, it's funny. It kind of makes me think about some people uh, who are really honestly most passionate about uh, the letters or the title in front of their name. A lot, a lot of people, nothing wrong with that. You're a doctor, you earned it. Come on, call him a doctor. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, but I do think sometimes people can be consumed with earthly identities. It's, it's easy to be because sometimes we find our value, our worth uh, in our identification. And I just, I think that's true. Our value and our worth is in our identification. It is in who we are, but it's gotta be in who we are as Christ followers, uh, not necessarily on titles we've given ourselves uh, or how we identify, because some identify as single or married or divorced or Republican or Democrat or gay or something in between or this or that. And, and all of these titles and identities we, we give ourselves uh, can sometimes really uh, lead how we see the world. And what I want to say to you today is that our earthly identities have to bow to our eternal identities. When it has 
to do with love and romance or sexuality particularly, um, before you date, before you marry, before you get engaged, you have to really have clarity on how you identify. And I would just say to some of you today that you're identifying the wrong way. You are. You got more emphasis on your earthly identity than your kingdom one. The kindest thing for me to do as your pastor is give you God's word, not my opinion. The kindest thing that I can do as your shepherd, as your leader, as your communicator, as your preacher, is to tell you the truth despite the consequences that it may cost me. My job is to try to get you to heaven and bring you God's word and bring you the truth and the truth will set you free. That, that's my goal today, to bring you the truth in love. And so the title of today's message is simply this, I identify as dot, dot, dot. I identify as. And I would just say to you today, everything in your life, every identity, every degree earned, every pronoun in a bio, uh, every identity around your sexuality, all of it must bow at the feet of Jesus Christ. It must, it must, or that becomes your leader, your idol, and your God. I want to go to Genesis chapter 17. This is going to be a heavy message today. You need to take notes. Um, this message is a starter for conversation between you and God, you and some of your leaders. Uh, this is not a end-all, be-all finality. It can't be in a 30-minute period. You've got to take it from here and do something with it. It's got to go from here. You can't become bitter or frustrated from this. You've got to go work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, with your leaders, with your accountability, with your pastors. Do you understand? Genesis 17, 1 through 5, and then I'll do 9, 11. But the Bible says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you. Everybody say covenant. Make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. Come on, somebody. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be father of many nations. That sounds great, doesn't it? But in the kingdom, when God blesses, uh, there's also, and when God goes into covenant, there's something you also have to carry. So that sounds great. That sounds good. And then plot twist. Here we go. Verse nine. Then God said, to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. Cool, God. What are the terms? You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. Verse 10. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. Whoa, Lord, this is kind of weird. Like I'm going to be the father of many nations. And then like, it's just a quick pivot. Like, okay, now be circumcised. It's odd. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Let's talk about circumcision for a moment. Aren't you excited? I know you've been waiting. Um, circumcision was a sign uh, for a few reasons, okay? Israel, Abraham, represents God's people in both the Old and the New Testament, the church, the, the greater Israel, if you will. And the, the most intimate part of Abraham, 
God asks for to show God's intimacy with humanity. Are you serious about this? Secondly, it was logistical. In other words, uh, if a if a person of God, if an Israelite who was circumcised would go be intimate with a woman who was not a part of their community, well, she would look down and go, What's this? this looks different. And it's funny, but it was logistical because why? They were trying to keep the faith pure. Yeah. And they, they were keeping it within God's people. Uh, number three, the circumcision of the foreskin is the place of intimacy, pleasure, and producing offspring or fruit. It's a metaphor for the heart. When your heart is regenerated, you produce spiritual offspring and fruit. In other words, when the heart is circumcised, when he, it's, it's truly the Lord's, uh, when that is cut away, the sin nature is cut away, the heart is intimacy between you and God, and then you can produce spiritual fruit. Jeremiah 4.4, 4, circumcise yourself to the Lord and then circumcise your hearts. You people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you've done. Burn with no one to quench it. So even in the Old Testament, we see this principle that the circumcision, the place of intimacy also is really about the heart. It's about covenant. Romans 2.28, for you are not a Jew, just true Jew, just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the spirit. A person with changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Circumcision was about identity. Who do I identify as? I, I, am, I am God's people. And it's the same principle for you and I today. And some of us actually have to circumcise off our old identities so that our heart can be fully his. A very new covenant. Well, let, let me back up. Here's, a, here's, a, here's what all this means, okay? Let me, let me reiterate like this. Circumcision is a motif for a regenerated heart. Okay, God uses circumcision as a springboard for sexuality and the picture of righteousness for God's people, Israel and beyond, and their covenant faithfulness. So in the scriptures, covenant faithfulness and sexuality is basically married together. God is serious about sexuality. A very new covenant way to describe circumcision and someone who is identifying as God's people is Galatians 2.20. It, it, it is... I think one of the most important verses in the New Testament. Paul writes, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is like, this is new covenant circumcision. It's like, okay, my old identity, I've been crucified with Christ. Everything and everybody and every identity that I was BC before Christ, it's cut off. It's gone. I am now jumping on that cross with Jesus and no longer, I'm dead now. And so dead men don't have preferences that trump God. 
I'm, I've been crucified. I'm dead. So, 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 so the measure, if you really have a regenerated heart, is if you're not willing to lay down stuff you hold on to, then does God really have your heart? Has your heart really been circumcised? Now, why does this fit in summer love? Well, because this first changes everything. Money, sex, gender, profession, relationship, love, purpose, where I go, who I marry. Do I go to church? Do I not? All of it is impacted by this verse. Who you marry, friends, is the most important decision next to following Jesus that you will ever make. I said it last year. Knowing your identity and theirs is imperative to choose wisely. A marriage begins with dating. So you got to do that well. To date well is to identify appropriately. If we do sexuality wrong, it greatly impacts our heart. What will happen is, is if we unpurify ourselves, if we don't live lives of righteousness, what it happens is it pollutes our heart and it hardens it. But when we live righteously, when our sexuality is submitted to God, then our heart is soft before him and God gets what he's after. Luke 10, 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Can't do it if the sexual sin or the identities are hardening the very thing that God wants to be cut off and softened. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me and through me. That means my outlook on sexuality especially has to be formed into him, his image as the creator. Genesis 1:27. so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. Ephesians 4, 24. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So in light of these verses that I've read to you, let me make a few statements. Here's where the rubber meets the road. If we believe in God, we have to believe what he says when it comes to sexuality. He created it and he created the factory settings in your body. Sex is good, your body is good, and it's designed sexually to fit within God's design and container for male and female engagement. Covenant. Sin, of course, has distorted our view of sexuality. It distorts our view of our body. Lust is evil. It can be defeated. But when sin gets involved, when we do things outside of God's design, that's when chaos ensues. Having an attraction to someone of the same sex isn't actually sin. It's part of the fall of man and the generational sin and abuse that's in the world. But acting and living a homosexual lifestyle, even if married to the same sex, is against God's design and it is layered all through the scriptures. We will never hide where we stand on this. Some churches get in trouble because they try to not deal with stuff and hide. And then people who might be uh, actively involved in this way are like, oh, I love this church. And then all of a sudden, like they find out, like I rather just kind of say, hey, here's what the Bible says. And we love you and God loves you. But like, here's, here's the truth. 
We see this Leviticus 18:22, Romans 20:13, Romans 1, 26 through 27, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. It's clear and it's specific. Listen to me, that this defies reinterpretation. It's intellectually dishonest for us to say that conservative orthodoxy and those leaders interpret such verses as sin, but it's not what it is. Well, that's just not the truth. Homosexuality in Leviticus, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy is mentioned in the wider context of sexual immorality and its prohibited behaviors, all of which are elaborated on in the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, which prohibits sex outside of male and female marriage. This casts doubt on every argument that scriptures condemning homosexuality have been taken out of context. It haven't. And I'll give you resources right now that you need in your life if you're struggling with this. One of the best books I've ever read on the topic is People to be Loved by Preston Sprinkle. There's also Living in a Gray World. There's also Gay Girl, Good God. There's also Gay Awareness. There's also Theos U, which is a theological school that has subjects like homosexuality. You can find true traditional Christian orthodoxy research if you want to engage with it. When we act sexually outside of God's design in his plan, consequences will take place. Listen to me, sickness and disease are a part of the fall. It's a part of engaging outside God's design. Unwanted or unprepared pregnancies, which in some cases then lead to abortions unnecessarily. A hard heart towards God, his kingdom, your decaying faith, and sometimes a hate for the church, which is Jesus' fiance and bride, all of these things tend to happen when we begin to engage sexually outside of God's plan, and we gotta stop, or it's gonna kill your soul. The non-binary transgender movement is more recently common, and same as homosexuality is clearly biblically out of bounds. Tumblr lists 114 gender options. Gen Y and Gen Z are labeled as the gender fluid generation due to believing one can go back and forth between genders constantly. Friends, there are extreme circumstances in which people are born extremely rare circumstances in which people are born into sex organ confusion or multiple sex organs. And just like in all things, we've got to lead with incredible, abundant love and grace. And I'm not here to uh, diagnose East scenario and East situation, but, and, and certainly there are people that can feel within themselves, they are the wrong gender. But friends, feelings do not equate to truth. Gender dysphoria does not change God's design. And I'm not suggesting or saying at all 
that these circumstances don't need incredible love, incredible grace, incredible mercy, and guidance, and counseling. But friends, there are consequences to these things in the earth. Uh, there are consequences to these things in the family unit. There are consequences to these things uh, uh, within our society and our structure. And there's a push for this stuff to be mainstream, and it has to stop. And if you are struggling with these things right now, look at me in the eyes. If you're struggling, God's got a plan for your life. If there's regret on even having sex changes, God's got a plan for your life. God loves you. Anxiety you feel, depression you feel, I cast it out and declare it to go in Jesus' name. There's a purpose for your life. There's redemption for your life. God loves you. You are needed on this earth and in this house and God wants to do something with you. So, so guilt that you may feel or whatever it is. Perfect love of Jesus come in. We, I, just got, I just got to give you God's word because it's the truth that sets us free. Great resources. One book uh, that's not even a Christian book that illuminates some of what's happening right now is Embodied. There's also Irreversible Damage. And of course, there's an article on the gospel Coalition responding to the transgender revolution, very much worth reading. And of course, Theos Theos U has a whole series on transgenderism. If you want to learn, if you want to grow, if you want to know what God has to say, dive into these things. Friends, single people are not second-class citizens. And while marriage and children and producing children is important, Being married and have a bunch of kids is not mandatory. In fact, being celibate and single can be a gift. I don't know, you're sitting here going, oh, you're married, Joey. Yeah, but also I've walked with many a single people and know what the word of God says. And sometimes folks need to choose this to be pure, holy, and righteous. And that's a hard truth. But again, I'm either crucified with Christ or I'm not. It's either him who's living through me or me who's welcoming to follow me. Jesus, I don't like this section. I don't like this. So why don't you in this area follow me? I need your blessing. I need your approval. I need your guidance. So come on, follow me along. And God's going, no, either I'm the leader, either I'm a Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. And I know know it's hard, but Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. I think this is a great scripture for those dealing with same-sex attraction or, or, or struggling through any sort of gender dysphoria or even singleness. Paul writes, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. This this is a super apostle. This is the guy who helps guide all of our church or, you know, government and, and leadership. And he goes three different times. I said, God, please take this away. And each time Jesus responds and he goes, my grace is sufficient. It's all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now Paul writes, I'm glad to boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me because I've been crucified with Christ. 
That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and the hardships and persecutions and trouble that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Paul understood for great is my reward when I stand before the Father. And he says, well done, because I know I've been crucified with Christ and it's not me who lives. My identity bows down to the King of Kings. Christians must receive their identity as Christ followers before anything else. Sexual perversion will be condemned by God and believers have to live within the tension of two things. Number one, standing for and living within absolute truth because it exists. But secondly, overwhelmingly loving all people despite their sexual choices. That is the tension we live in. Believer, we are not here to step on people. Uh, we are not here to condemn folks. We are here to stand and believe and not sway, but also overwhelmingly love and encourage and when it's welcome, speak the truth, both prophetically uh, and when asked. On an important note and, and a bright note is, guys, we can rejoice in sexuality and sex as God's design. Look at the Song of Songs. Look at Joseph resisting temptation. Look at the New Testament encouraging us to live a life worthy of our calling and a life of sexual morality. Here's what Paul writes because it's important for us to receive however you're feeling right now or whatever your past has dictated, Romans 8, 1 through 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, listen, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So whatever decisions you've made, wherever you were at in life, okay, what we've got to come to the table with is once I ask for forgiveness, once I give it to God, once I make a decision to repent, turn from my ways, there is therefore now no condemnation. Guilt does not have to plague you. Your future is bright. God can use you. And while there might be challenges or thorns, the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit can live through you and strengthen you to not only be victorious, to not live in sin, but to testify and lead others and to live a courageous life of ministry and success in Jesus' name. When we consider sexuality, modern Christianity and the gospel, we tend to take different paths from God. Parents, we probably struggle with this, particularly Christian parents, we're focused on prevention, but God is focused on redemption. I'm not saying prevention measures are bad, but God's whole narrative is redemption. David, worst sexual sinner in the Bible, but he experienced redemption from God. The story of Hosea is you and I. God asks Hosea, to, the prophet, to go marry a prostitute to show our constant over and over and over sin against God, yet he stays put. And God forgives and he loves his people despite their continued sin and sexual de decay. And so what I'm saying today is no matter your state you are in, God loves you and he waits upon your willingness to repent to change your ways and to submit everything in your life to the Lordship 
of Jesus Christ. God's going, I know it hurts, but it's better in my hands. I know it's hard, but it's better in my hands. I, 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 know, I know it's painful. That's what the crucifixion is. That's what the circumcision is. But there's a resurrection beyond this. There's freedom beyond this. There's victory beyond this. And as I close, let me give you a few things to walk away with practically. And I'll reiterate, this message is not the end all be all. It's a starting point. You got to go work this out. You got to go have the conversations. You got to be in a group. You got to have pastors and leaders in your life. You got to do your own research. Don't take my word for it. I know you feel the Holy Spirit right now and there's a lot of uh, feelings and emotions connected to this. And I know all of us have loved ones who are connected or we're connected to some of these challenges sitting in our seats or watching online and all of it. But man, go, go seek God and he'll find you. Go seek the word of God and these resources. But if you're really gonna identify with Christ Jesus, especially when it comes to sexuality, I wanna give you four quick things to walk away, for, walk away with that are, that are practical. Number one, you must maintain or acquire a biblical worldview. Four in 10 believers think the Bible is the word of God. That's not gonna cut it. 9% of believers have a biblical worldview. What, how do you know? Let's see where you measure. A biblical worldview is defined as believing that absolute moral truths exist. That such truth is defined by the Bible and firm belief in six specific religious views. Number one, those views were that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. Number two, God is the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe and he still rules it today. Number three, salvation is a gift from God that cannot be earned. Number four, Satan is real. Number five, a Christian has a responsibility to share their faith in Christ with all people. And number six, the Bible is accurate in all its teachings. You want a biblical worldview? You don't pick and choose. You seek him until you find him. If your biblical worldview doesn't inform your cultural worldview, you're bound to fail in the area of sexuality and Christendom and you limit your effectiveness and your fruit. Number two, you gotta surround yourself with Christ-like community. Have to, because what that produces is accountability, encouragement, you may find godly romance in that you will grow. You have a place to run to when you're struggling, somebody to pick you up. Those, I know stories of those who are literally contemplating suicide, but their godly community swooped in by the Holy Spirit and their life was transformed. You gotta have Christ-like community. Not saying you don't have friends that are at work or that don't know God or any of those things Those are important people to engage, but the, the core, the meat, the strength of your community must be filled with Christ inside and at the center. Number three, you got to adjust your mentality regarding your current relationship status. In other words, some of you must accept or be at peace with, be content with a life of celibacy because it can be a blessing or a life in which you're embracing your season of singleness and you're saying, God, if this is what you have for me, use me greatly in the middle of this. If you're married, married, it's a blessing. Don't stop working on it. Should you get counseling? Whatever your current relationship status is, you find they're struggling, do you need to get coaching? Get it, find it. Some of us need to change how we date. 
ultimately evaluate your current relationship status and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to the next best step. And as I close, number four, you should make all romance decisions in light of one through three and the entirety of this message. Friends, we're not dating because we're lonely. We're not dating people if they're not believers. We should really consider that. We're leading with purity. We're getting counsel and coaching as and when the relationship gets more serious. We're making all romance and sexuality decisions based on the information of the word of God because our mindset is one of a biblical outlook. You do that and you please God and fruit is produced in your life. Last thing I want to say to you today, and I, I'm proud of you and I love you. Thank you for listening and embracing and engaging. But one of the, one of the things that makes me most sad as a pastor and breaks my heart and what the enemy uses, and you need to understand this warning sign, is when somebody starts to get engaged with God and get on fire for God, they give their life to Jesus or they've come back and maybe they've gotten baptized or they started serving or, or they're giving and they're, man, God's doing a work in their life. They're, they're leading a group. It is almost like clockwork. The enemy comes in with some form of distraction. It's like clockwork. I mean, at their moment, any, a moment of weakness and an open door or even at their height, whatever it is, whenever you take ground in the kingdom, believe you me, the enemy is coming to take that ground back. Especially when you cast them out and you fight and you make decisions for purity and righteousness and all that. And so what happens a lot of times, I see this all the time, someone's going for God and then the wrong relationship jumps in the wrong relationship and it begins to steal. And all of a sudden you get distracted because you're starting to sniff in the pheromones. You get distracted because they're so beautiful or that old idea, the old way that the habits that were broken, that the enemy's coming in. And so I'm warning you right now, no sin breaks down your faith quite like sexual sin does. Because all of us long, we all long to be known and, and, and that's good. And sometimes what the enemy will do is he'll bring in the, the wrong or a distracting relationship or a relationship that's not right for that season to, to say, oh, be known, be known. And God's going, hey, we're in the process of being known right now. Let me establish and fulfill the work. Because I'm all about people getting married. I'm all about people meeting people in the church. I am, but know your season. And do not let the enemy steal and distract in the midst of God doing a great work. Say no, rebuke. Make sure your faith is on strong ground. Do not let sexual sin steal and harden the heart that was, were supposed to be circumcised and soft before God. Would you stand with me? Every location, if you're online, watch with me. Stay with me. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes, every person. And listen to me, if you're far from God today, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit today. If you're not right with Jesus today, if you're in sin today, if you died today and you'd be separated from God for eternity, this is your moment. 
Do not let this moment pass you by. You sense and you feel the Holy Spirit touching your heart. Maybe you've got a lump in your throat. There's tears welling up in your eyes. You're saying, I gotta come home to God. I gotta get right with God today. I gotta begin a journey with Jesus Christ today. If that's you with every head bowed, every eye closed, wherever you are, if that's you and you're saying, I gotta get right with God. I gotta begin with God today. If that's you, would you lift your hand right now? Every location, every physical location, people's hands going up, getting right with God, securing their eternity, saying, I'll be crucified with Christ. I want my heart to be softened. If that's you, come on, lift it up, lift it up, lift it up, lift it up. If you're online, give me a hand emoji. Don't let this moment pass you by. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm just trying to bring you the truth. Freedom's on the other side. Resurrection's on the other side. I'll wait for you. With hands lifted. I want our whole church to pray this prayer out loud to encourage those whose hands are lifted. You can put your hands down, but can we say this loud and proud? Can we say, Jesus, thank you for being crucified for my sin, my shame. Right now, I need you. Take my heart. It's yours. Cut off anything that doesn't belong. Forgive me of my sin and help me repent of my ways. Be the Lord, be the leader of my life for all my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, we believed you are saved. Your best days are ahead. Heaven is your destiny. And while it may not get easier, it will get better. Come on, let's lift it up for all those people today. Thank you, Lord. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories, and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.